All right. While we wait for Jenko to come in, welcome everyone to a special edition of Lex Line featuring yours truly, Carlo, and Jenko, brought to you in conjunction with our friends at Rug Radio, where we talk about new and emerging legal developments in Web3, NFT, and blockchain law. And we've got a new development today. So as always, everything we discuss here should not be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, of course, you should consult a lawyer. You should do that privately, not on a recorded Twitter space, because these spaces are recorded. And that means we will rebroadcast these and we will put up clips. So if you come up to talk, just know you are recorded. So we had an interesting development today, as some of you in the space are aware. The Yuga Labs lawsuit has been going on now for some time. That lawsuit then splintered off into another lawsuit that was filed by Yuga against a Thomas Lehman. Mr. Lehman is a designer of the website and smart contract that was allegedly utilized in launching the Rider Rips NFTs, the RR slash BAYC NFTs. The allegations in this lawsuit is that launching that particular website and smart contract triggered a trademark violation and furthered damages suffered by Yuga Labs in this pending lawsuit that they have with Ryder Rips at all. And just broke today, they have settled with Mr. Lehman. So Yuga Labs has entered into a settlement. And according to the article that I pinned up top, Mr. Lehman has accepted responsibility for his conduct in violating the trademark that Yuga Labs is trying to enforce with respect to the Board Ape Yacht Club. So this is a definite interesting development in the space, one I thought we should get together and at least unpack and discuss. As always, any lawyers in the space who'd like to come up and share your thoughts on this new development, you are welcome to. Uh, go ahead and give a retweet to the room if you wouldn't mind while we wait for some people to jump in. Waiting on my man Jenko to come into the conversation, but I do see that Ira's out there, Birdnalls and Matt, you're welcome to come up and give me your thoughts on this. But according to the original lawsuit that was brought and filed by Yuga back on January 20th of 2023. It's alleged in paragraph four that Rips enlisted Lehman, as well as other non-parties, uh, to join his business venture and help him profit off of Yuga Labs' goodwill and trademarks by flooding the NFT market with their, quote, intentionally misleading copycat NFT collection using the original Board Ape Yacht Club images and calling the NFTs RR slash BAYC NFTs. The lawsuit continued to allege that brazenly, the RRBAYC team promotes and sells these NFTs using the very same trademarks that Yuga Labs uses to promote and sell authentic Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs, that being the logo, branding, etc., Quote, they also use the BAC marks to promote their coming Ape Market NFT marketplace hosted at apemarket.com, which requires a person to purchase one of the infringing NFTs to join the Ape Market. So that is what was filed against Mr. Lehman, and it alleges a violation of the Lanham Act, trademark violation. And at this point, that looks like has been settled with an admission or at least an agreement by Mr. Lehman that he's responsible for that conduct. 
So this is, to say the least, an interesting development in the case. We've got some speakers that have jumped in, so let me go ahead and welcome up. Ira, Matt, welcome as always. Thanks for joining the conversation. Happy Monday. Welcome to a special edition of LexLine. What's good, Ira? Well, I mean, this, this is predictable. Um, although usually uh, folks settle all at once in civil cases, but it's predictable because um, I'm just guessing. This is not any kind of great factual insight, but my guess is, is that that developer was not getting the funding that he, he needed in order to defend the case. And he may not have been getting indemnification. Um, and in any event, he was not the artist and didn't have the same level of passion or what what have you. So my guess, I have to read the tea leaves, is that it was probably a no money changing hands pick off settlement where he would cooperate um, and be truthful. And they probably got what they needed in terms of consideration that way. And so his journey and this litigation is over and he's essentially turned state's evidence on the other folks. So that's kind of like what I'm reading right now. Yeah. The admission uh, as reported (laughs) is interesting. Matt, I just want to say ditto on this development. Because I just basically said everything that I had to say. I got nothing else to say. I'll step down. No, <laughs> I love it. No, just stay, stay right here. Uh, you know, look, from the start, um, I've always wondered, I mean, let's take a look at this. Let, let, it, let us unpack this in, the, in our room full of Web3 lawyer nerds, because this reminds me a bit of the BitTorrent litigation, the peer-to-peer litigation. And if I understand the facts correctly, Ryder Rips and Team created an NFT drop where the URI uh, in their NFT token was pointing to the hash of the uh, Yugo Labs content on IPFS. And so what you basically have is a scenario where they have a different token pointing to common content. And that's a very unique I'll, I'll even call it a hack. But at the same time, it does remind me a lot more, besides trademark, of what's known as secondary copyright infringement, where you basically have a link. That link would lead to then traffic, and that traffic theoretically would be unauthorized. In other words, every single time those images were pinged, it would lead to a copy or a distribution and it would be in microseconds downloaded to the cache of all the different devices. And now you're in the zone, at least, of somebody making out a secondary copyright infringement argument. And that contributes to the confusion of the consumer? Well, here's the thing. They didn't, they didn't allege any copyright infringement. But the thing that really, you know, that, that puzzles me is with all the money lying around with Yuga, with their after-the-fact assertions that they're, they own the copyrights, why are they going through contortions to avoid just saying what that would happen was a DMCA takedown notice? They're loud and proud of it. It can't possibly be a DMCA 512F misleading takedown because 
you can have an unregistered copyright for which you're seeking a DMCA takedown notice. I'm like looking at all this stuff and it puzzles me. And then I'm looking at the notion that, and I'm just doing this from memory and I'll shut up in a second. I want to hear what other people have to say, but at the time, you know, uh, someone on my team than I went over to look at the website for the NFT drop. And it looked like they were using a content management system that looked like it copied over much, many, if not all the images of the bored apes from IPFS into the content management system for purposes of probably making a lower latency for the sale. And so now you have a, a copying, you know, commercial, and that may be primary infringement. And so I'm always wondering, I've been puzzled, even though they've been very successful. And frankly, I think, you know, it looks like the equities certainly are on the side of Hugo Labs for this sort of thing. I, why are they going through contortions not to just expedite a registration and seek the low-hanging fruit of copyright infringement? I just, uh, you know, for me, this entire trademark thing baffles me, even though I'll acknowledge it looks to be a winning theory. Okay, so the devil's in the details there. What is the potential strategic advantage you could see in pursuing it as a trademark claim as opposed to pursuing it as a copyright claim? And then I'd love to hear from Birdnalls on all of this. Well, we, we're seeing what's happened already. Um, we have... In the slap motion, the court coming back and saying a lot more than they had to <laughs> by rejecting uh, any kind of nominal fair use for the trademark claims. And so in, in many ways, it is demonstrating that their approach is working. Um, the biggest, you know, the big concern that I have for them is if the court, and I don't think they're going to do this, but if the court allow for an expansive view of discovery um, again somebody could make arguments theoretical ones annoying ones that this sort of thing can't be trademarked because there's alleged illegality related to securities laws and all sorts of various joys that are involved in the nft ecosystem one of the bases, one of the defenses, even if it's a losing defense for a trademark case, is that something at its core, in a material way, is not trademarkable because it's basically, it's trademark, trademark is materially intertwined with illegality, which if a court were to entertain that, and again, I don't think they're going to, but if they would, would be a bet the company case. And so for me, it's just easier to go to the copyright route with something like this than to go the trademark route because then all the integrity issues come into play and the scope of discovery could literally be endless, incorporating third parties, venture capitalists, folks who are concerned about whether or not ApeCoin is an illegal security and the trademark with board apes is a, you know, involved in legal securities and, you know, or legal gambling. And so my concern has always been, why do that to yourself? Just, just go for the copyright. So that's, this is not legal advice when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic that Yuga is going to prevail, 
but we are in a Lex line room and I am going to go ahead and treat this like we're in a law school debate. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Ira. Bertnalls, what do you think? And then we have uh, also Christian, who is a trademark attorney, although he practices overseas. I'd love to get his take as well. Welcome, Bernals. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Ira to an extent, um, but I think I take the opposite position uh, as opposed to the copyright trademark. Obviously, when the case was first brought, I, I really I thought the same thing as Ira. I thought um, copyright is the slam dunk. It has the it has the great statutory damages if they were registered, which obviously we found out now they they're not registered. So that gives one reason why why they didn't go that route. Um, and I think those damages would also be uh, you can't you can't backwards look at this point for lots of the damages they'd be seeking under copyright. And quite frankly. I don't think they needed copyright. Um, I think that they thought they saw themselves as having a trademark case that if they won, the damages would vastly outweigh any potential payment that these individuals could could give. So they didn't need to add on any copyright damages on top of that. Um, any kind of damages would likely render uh, the creators insolvent um, if the damages are, if they do win and they get a uh, malicious finding against them. So I think that's why they saw that and that the copyright uh, kind of opens the door for Ryder and Pauly to bring up lots of their kind of claims about racist artwork and, and put all that, put all that kind of information in front of a jury potentially while trademark may be much more limited. I mean, they had the skull logo essentially, and that's kind of it as far as anything that would be relevant to a trademark claim um, in regards to their whole, these are racist dog whistles, all that good stuff. So I think that might be one of the strategic reasons for that. Um, I think they took a risk when they did that, especially with the Rogers uh, uh, potential defense. But once they overcame that Rogers defense, at this point, I don't see them any reason for them to kind of uh, turn this into a copyright or uh, switch switch streams at this point. I think they're they committed. They they won on Rogers, which was huge for them, and now they're just kind of uh, they're kind of sticking with that. And as opposed, to like for this individual, I one hundred percent agree with Ira. I think that there's probably something that went on behind the scenes in regards to any commitment that he would waive jurisdiction and potentially testify in the case, give any kind of evidence, any kind of documents he has um, regarding communications between uh, writer, Paulie, him, anybody else he has information on. Um, and that, that, but from the statement that was in that, in that article uh, that was released kind of announcing it, his statement, um, it seems like, there's something in addition to what was filed in the court in the consent judgment uh, as to some kind of uh, agreement to uh, ongoingly provide testimony and or evidence uh, in the case. I, I mean, there's no way to know that. We, I don't have access to the agreement. Um, there's no way to uh, know until the case actually comes to light if he, if he shows up in California despite uh, that that court not having the subpoena power to bring them into California, likely, uh, I think that will be the, the giveaway. But yeah, that's where I'm seeing this as is just like, yeah, I mean, Polly and Ryder and whoever else, they claim they made 
millions from the mint, but anybody else that's involved that didn't make those millions, that doesn't have the war chest to defend, is should be, I would think, be a little bit worried that they could be next. I know there's lots of jokes and laughing about subpoenas and all that when the, when the case first started and people being like, uh, I, you can't subpoena me and, and look at these, look at these actions and kind of just dismissing them. I think that's, that's not wise. I think anybody that uh, was involved or has or has some kind of involvement should, if they haven't already consulted a lawyer, should probably be consulting lawyers because it seems like Yuga's not just stopping with Pauline Ryder and that they are pretty diligently defending their trademarks. Excellent observation. So it sounds like it may have been a strategic decision to avoid the potential sideshow about the origins of the art and the allegations that have been lodged against Yuga by these defendants to go trademark because they could sort of gatekeep what gets put before the jury. Um, I want to hear from Christian and then Matt's got his hand up and then near, but I want to read that statement that you mentioned from the, uh, from the news release, Bernal's uh, quote, I am happy to have resolved the Yuga Labs Inc. versus Lehman trademark lawsuit. Lehman said in the statement, Quote, it was never my intention to harm Yuga Labs brand. I reject all disparaging statements about Yuga Labs and its founders and appreciate their positive contributions to the NFT space. End quote. Christian, what do you think about this development? Welcome, as always. Hey, uh, thanks for having me up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I found this very interesting. I, I, I've only seen this in a, in a tweet that, uh, that you tweeted out, uh, uh, Carlo, um, this Lehman statement. Um, and tying back to to the comments that Ira and Bernolds made, I was probably the same when I when I heard about this case for the first time. I it like it smelled uh, first of all to be a copyright case, right? Not not going to say that whether it smelled of infringement or, or violation, but it's like probably most IP lawyers would have said, yeah, well, that's a copyright case. But, but then I, and, and I only do trademarks, um, but I discussed this with a, with a copyright lawyer across the floor and well, his thoughts were, and I, I think I've heard that in many spaces as well as, you know, they, they, they didn't want to open the can of worms on whether or not they, they have, you know, or to what extent or to what scope they have copyright protection, but, then I understand also it's the issue of whether or not the copyright is registered and you need a registration in, in the US to enforce your uh, copyright in federal court, I think, at least. So, so that's, of course, another um, aspect. And then finally, I agree that now that they have decided to rely on trademarks, it, it, for, to me, that actually makes sense because, as Bert notes also said, the the story, the narrative that they can build up and, and rightfully build up is just more favorable to them because the whole uh, facts that dominate the trademark case are very much commercially driven. You, the, the artistic elements are not something that you as the trademark owner have to, uh, have to rely on or you don't have to put the focus on them. Quite the opposite, right? You, you say, I have a trademark. I think they are relying on non-registered trademarks. And you simply say the other side is using the identical trademarks for identical products. There's a whole debate what the actual products are. But that's the story that you can say. And then you don't have to speak about your own copyright and, and whether or not what the other side is doing is artistic in any way that you, you can leave that to the other side to bring that up and, and, and you can downplay that and 
you know, uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of questions um, well, from the EU side. Yeah, please. Christian, sorry for interrupting you, but let me ask oh, you this, fine. and this is also for Nier um, and anyone else who on this trademark thing. Um, if is it conceivable? You know, look, I, I've had cases where people would come in with trademark claims, and the court would say that it's preempted by copyright. There's a copyright claim in disguise because you just, you know, is there any risk here of the cousin of that, which is that <clears throat> if they come in and ask for injunctive relief that the injunction would be, okay, because this is not a copyright case, just stop advertising this as something that's authorized by Yuga Labs and everything else stays the same? Or is there like a de facto prohibition altogether, even though it's not a copyright case? In other words, I'm not trying to be, I guess I'm trying to be cute. If, if they were <laughs> to get the exact relief under trademark law, it would just be stop the confusingly, you know, mis you know, don't, don't confuse consumers as to the source of origin and everything else stays the same with copyright. It would be enjoined because th these would be infringements and it's game over. So I guess that's my question for you. It's the cousin yeah. of preemption. Um, it, it, you know, is this relief going to be much more narrow because of the path they've chosen? So I, I'm not sure whether we have, we have the same um, concept in the EU. So I, I don't think uh, this would be preempted here. But I, but I see your point and I agree. What what they are claiming under or can claim under trademark infringement is is different from the copyright scenario. So they can only claim that the other side does not offer or sell or whatever um, these NFTs um, under or making use of um, the infringing trademarks, right? And then the question is, can they stop use of those trademarks but continue uh, with, with the resale or offer of the NFTs? Um, that's I haven't looked at all the details, so that's a big question. But yes, th th I think there are different claims that you would bring forward and they lead to different results. And maybe the trademark right or the trademark cl uh, claim can be circumvented by leaving out the, the trademark in the future. Uh, that depends also on you know, you know on the type of NFTs, but I'm I'm happy to hear what the others think on this as well from a US perspective. Fascinating, Nir. I pinned up what you brought, Matt. You put your hand down if you need to speak again, just bring it up. But Nir, you you gave some commentary on the settlement. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and really, really great comment, Ira. And I think this is where we're all anxiously waiting to see what an order looks like. How do you stop an infringement in an NFT context? To what extent should you really, what do you need to be asking the court to help you with? Um, and so it was, so Bernal's was absolutely correct. There's a confidential settlement agreement that we're not privy to. Um, but the proposed order, uh, the consent judgment and proposed order for permanent injunction attached to that stipulated entry today really helps shed light on that. Um, Can and you just, expand on what that means for the people who don't understand? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, as a result of the confidential settlement agreement, it's pretty common that when the parties agree on something, they're going to ask the court to enter something on their behalf. So in this case, it's called a consent judgment, um, you know, something that, that both parties are agreeing to what the court should order um, and a permanent injunction, which outlines 
the things that the part that the defendants in this case, Lehman can't do and, and his obligations to the court. Like usually there's some kind of reporting factor afterwards that you say, yeah, I destroyed this or yeah, I I did X, Y, and Z. Um, so the parties entering into this together, all of the, the confidential settlement agreement is all hinging upon the court to enter, uh, something in their favor, of course. Um, but the actual language in the permanent injunction is, and it starts, if you, if you pull it up, it is in the, in the pin tweet. Thank you, Carlo. Um, it starts on page four, so you can see what the parties agreed to. And significantly, the violation said by Lehman is uh, false designation of origin and false advertising law. So maybe, Ira, that kind of gets into... Um, rather than just uh, plain BAYC versus RRBAYC. There's also, let me see here. I mean, there's a whole slew of things that they're asking that they're stopped, uh, that the other side, or Lehman, should should do and stop doing. Uh, Significantly, there is, There is in there number nine talking about Lehman should destroy any materials in his possession or control publicly displaying the BAYC marks. And if you remember, if you if you took a look at the set at the complaint, they're also including on the images there. The marks are used on the images themselves. Um, And also, if you have, I have to kind of search. If you haven't seen it, it is really interesting, especially the foundation page where the title, I mean, everything, it it looks Board Ape Yacht Club, Board Ape Yacht Club. It's in the um, domain name. I think it's it's either Board Ape Yacht Club in the domain name or Basie. But um, the only real way that you see that that collection is referring to uh, rips and, and progeny is there's like a kind of small line that says something like writer rips and if you also look at the ether scan pretty similar given that the token tracker is uh board api club um so i just wanted to also mention that it looked like the defendant has burned some of the nfts as well and that's in um number seven of, of the pin tweet you can take a look at the ether scan and there's an example of what uh, one of the apes looked like, and you can see that the creator says rider-rips.eth, uh, and it looks like the owner is, uh, is the burn address. Excellent breakdown. Thank you, Nir. Any comments, Matt, at this point? <laughs> Your hand went down. Do we cover it? Yeah, I just thought that the, um, the, the way that the statement was released was a bit weird peculiar um the proposed consent order and judgment seems interesting um i'm just curious to see how it all plays out and what you know the court's going to do and what you know what possible legal issues can arise if you know certain things happen just looking in in the future so it's it's interesting but to to usually you know to to put out some endorsed statement when you're uh, settling the case is interesting way to go about it. And it seems to be pretty forceful. If you look at that language that the court wants the 
that parties want the court to just um, agree upon and make conclusions of law like that without other possibly interested parties. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So it's good stuff. It's good stuff for a Monday. I'm happy to hear it. And everybody has really excellent insight. And I appreciate what everybody has to say. Um, good stuff, everybody. Yeah. I will, I will point out that. Yeah. I will point out that maybe it's the obvious point here. And that is we're still early on in the NFT evolution. It's exceedingly important for consumer protection. And I'm not entirely sure. You could probably have a lot of different theories for this sort of case. You could have copyright. You could have trademark. You could probably even have like the FTC deceptive marketing. You could have 17200 under California law, unfair business practices. There's a whole variety of ways to basically make the point, hey, look, don't go ahead and, and trick consumers into thinking this could be the, the real bored apes. And then the cousin of that, which, you know, is, hey, don't leverage all of our work and intellectual property for your own self gain. And then, then try calling it like some sort of weird thing of your own art. Those are the two overriding principles right here. I'm not exactly sure where on the Venn diagram they're going to overlap in terms of an injunction, but I think the consumer protection issue really is the key one. And so whatever's going to happen in this case is going to lay down the law for consumer protection for others to be able to use. And I think that's a good thing. Excellent point. I love it. Uh, we got a couple of speakers that have come up. Let me bring up Josh and near, I think you dropped, you wanted to come up again. So let me bring you back up. I don't know how long we'll go today, but it just thought it would be at least great to open the conversation on this and get some initial information out to the space about what's going on here. So thank you. What's up, Josh? Welcome as always. GM Carlo, GM everybody. Uh, not trying to cut in front of Bernal's um, or anybody else, but I just wanted to hit on something that Ira had pointed out regarding the FTC stuff. I'm actually a little bit surprised, and, and maybe we'll see more of it going forward, but I, I do feel out of all the agencies or out of all the claims, I feel like the FTC could probably do a little bit more and step in now because the the issues of fraud and protecting consumers – I mean, for the FTC, do they really care ultimately how a court's going to classify what the token is or what it's representing or what it's supposed to be? If a consumer's been defrauded into spending money on something that they were promised something else and they got something else, I think that there could be more of that now as we speak. So I, I was just – I just wanted to highlight that. I thought that was, was very interesting. I don't know if we're going to see more of that this year or not. But, you know, for example, to build off that, like in Florida, two consumers can sue under something called FDUPA. Right, which is the Fraudulent Deceptive Trade Practices Act. So you have claims that may be able to get at the heart of these fraud-based things or, or you know, scamming people type things now. And I, do, I am curious to see if we will see more of it going forward. Thank you, Josh. Bernals and then Christian. Yeah, just going back to uh, Ira's point regarding uh, the trademark injunction, uh, and I, I think that uh, in this case, I don't know how you, because usually in a trademark injunction, you say, all right, here are the damages, you, you violate a trademark, here's all that. 
And then going forward, here's how you can make it. Here's how you can use this in a non-deceivingly, uh, non-deceiving way, um, so that consumers aren't confused. Usually, it's like some kind of big old like thing that says that this is not an official Nike product, or this is not an official Whirlpool uh, filter replacement, or whatever else it is. Um, here, like like Neil were saying on the on the metadata of the tokens themselves, they say just Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, BAYC is the is the Mako's Max Supply nine thousand five hundred thirty two BAYC. It has a lot of it. Just basically says board ape. I don't know how you fix that. And what's important is for these consumer confusion. It that's maybe not uh, as relevant for the FTC is that the FTC is just really focusing on uh, confusing the buyers. And I think that most buyers of Riderip Board Apes Yacht Club understood that they weren't buying authentic board apes, as opposed to trademark, in which case it's not just the buyers, but any other consumer as well. So you can't just sell fake Nikes and then on your site clearly say, hey, these are not real Nikes. Anyone buying these, you're buying fake Nikes. But then when the person goes around and wears them and they look like shit, that hurts Nike's uh, brand. Same thing here. When, when anybody can spend like 0.25 and get a Board Ape Yacht Club that uses a hexagon on their Twitter, that hurts Board Ape's brand. So I think that that's, that's one of the issues that isn't as relevant. That's why maybe the FTC hasn't stepped in is that I think people, the vast majority of people who bought these, at least all or if not all, the vast majority who bought them on a primary market understood what they were buying. But even if you understand what you're buying is fake, that can still be uh, damaging to a brand's trademark. But you are running, but you are running there into the collision of copyright versus trademark. And there's there's interesting case law where folks brought trademark cases and they were dismissed because the court found you're really just trying to get copyright relief with a product. uh, That's a different issue that you wear versus a JPEG. Um, and so the, it would be distinguished that way. Look, I, I think we all have, not all, many of us have in the equitable part of all this, the notion that something about this is not right. The defendants did. But we're trying to fit this into the law. And right now I'm thinking to myself that there could be some sort of collision or dose of copyright preemption if the injunction tries to go too far. Um, And so we'll just have to wait to see what happens with that. Excellent. Christian in the near and Josh. Thanks. Yeah. um, I'm going to make a controversial point that I've been thinking about for a while, namely whether it's more valuable to have an NFT with an image that actually features the trademark of the project. Like that could be the logo or BAYC, um, because if somebody uses that exact image of the NFT and, and makes a copy of that one, and even if they manage to not use any trademarks in the metadata and, and the way it's being offered, but still you have that uh, trademark within the image. So there's an argument to be made that it, in any case, you know, uh, that that image or an NFT using that image would be using the trademark that is debatable and that would then uh, constitute trademark infringement so uh, i'd be interested well, to I mean, hear the other 
IP lawyers on that one, but but I think you it's an argument to be made. You should uh, send over a, a LinkedIn message to Disney and tell them that you'll be happy to help them in that effort with Mickey Mouse. But that's exactly that's exactly what folks are doing. I mean, you know, I think Keith Grossman did that with his Time Magazine drop, where he had the Time logo watermarked on every NFT, so that even if Time didn't own the copyrights, they could still take action under trademark law as the person who runs the project. So I think there's a lot of merit to what you're saying, and I do think it's a hack. And there is probably in some of the board apes the manifestation of a mark, but there's a whole bunch that don't have that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Christian just uh, indirectly pumped Metaverse Lawyers merch ape sure in sale price. <laughs> Near and then Josh. That is amazing. <laughs> I uh, just wanted to follow up. I think it's a little bit more on uh, Bernal's point, you know, and, and Ira, what you all were saying kind of reminds me a little bit about part of the controversy with initial interest confusion. And maybe Ira, I mean, I think you're in the Ninth Circuit. So, you know, that's I, I thought that was one of the interesting points <laughs> about uh, Yuga Labs bringing this suit in California in the Ninth Circuit where initial interest confusion is alive and well. And that has been criticized by even if a consumer can go in and be able to tell later, okay, that's not an authentic so-and-so, um, that's still initial point that spurred the confusion is still relevant towards finding trademark infringement. Um, that's way oversimplified, I think, but I hope I'm... Yeah, Ira, you have any comments on that? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got to go in like five minutes. I have a 1030 call, but this has been a really great conversation. These are excellent points. Um, Fenwick has their main office right down the road from me in Palo Alto. Um, my guess is the reason why they brought it here is because, you know, the, the, the center of gravity literally is in California for almost everything Yuga, as well as their law firm. Um, but let's let's look at this. I'm the defendant. Sorry, to be fair. Right. <laughs> yeah. But look, let, let's let's look at this hypothetical for a second. Uh, let's say that Ryder Rips went to near for advice, if you would take them as clients and said, all right, how could we do this so as to maximize our chances under trademark law? And they come up with a game sort of like the one that Board Apes currently has. And the game is called, this is not a Bored Apes project game. And the only way to win is to navigate your little craft through 10 little obstacles in each one where you agree that you know this is not a Bored Apes project. And then when you succeed, you get whitelisted to buy into the project. And then everyone who buys downstream has to play the game before they can get a transfer. Um. Is, does that tee up the issue as to whether or not they could still do this project where 100% of the folks, as a matter of certainty, have all acknowledged they are not confused? Um, and now are we just stuck with copyright law or is trademark law strict liability where folks admit they're not confused, but you can't, you can't do something else like disparage? What are your thoughts on that? goes back to Birdnall's point. I think it still hurts the brand, but that's that's my two cents. Josh and Christian, what do you think? I, I to 
agree with you, Carlo. I think with to Bernal's point, I think it, it goes there as well that it would hurt the brand regardless because it's still, you know, in, inching towards it a little bit, right? To to overly simplify. But I have a I have a question as well for for these issues with the trademark claims where it's just kind of you can't really fix it. It's embedded in the metadata or it's in the image itself or whatever it may be. If those tokens aren't owned by a project. First of all, does a court have the authority to order the tokens to be burned by the project? I think they probably do if there's infringement. And if they do, what's the practical reality for those tokens that are out in the world that are out there yeah. infringing? That's you know, a bridge that has not been crossed yet. I don't so, even know how to start with it either. Yeah, so I'll step in. They don't have the authority. We kind of talked about this in the ruling in the library case in that the court can't order any non-party to do something uh, that they don't have jurisdiction over that individual, especially. So like if you're, if you're an individual in Iowa who owns one of these Rider Rips board apes, as a part of whatever judgment they enter in this matter, I don't think the court would have jurisdiction to order Anon in Iowa to also burn. I think that if, if that's what Yuga wants, They'd have to find each individual owner, institute a suit against them, and then get their get their relief that way. Um, and that the court just can't issue a overarching uh, order against everybody. I don't think just because they don't have jurisdiction over each of those individuals. Just to build off that, that's amazing, and I and I believe I think I agree with you completely. Um, what we're seeing with the service of process tokens, then I'm curious. I mean could something like that play a role just to get a hold of some of these people? I, again, I don't know. I'm just, you know, spur of the moment consciousness thought, but would they send notices? Is that potentially something we may see? I would think that they would most likely do either a buyback or an amnesty program after rolling at some point uh, and just get because once they once they have that that ruling, I don't I don't think the consent judgment is going to be much in the ways of uh, precedential. Um, but I think once if they if they were to win the Ryder Rips and Pauly case, I do think that they'd have a well supported precedent as to the infringement of these items. And that if you go smart, they'd say, hey, listen, anybody who has one of these, send them to a barn address. Uh, all's done that's all's well that ends well we're no further action we take against you you're good to go um and that would be that would be the end of it and if there's some people out there still trying to fight the good fight then Yuga did what they did in new york and bring a separate action against them and get an individual ruling against that individual and just says hey stop messing with us that way i think i think that's probably the route they go I think it's interesting, though, Josh, to your point that we might see something where a court does have jurisdiction over a specific defendant and, um, you know, you're coming up with injunction language that maybe you airdrop a statement to holders or something to that effect. I mean, it sounds like there, it still might be possible, just it all maybe depends on the control that the defendant may have over that contract. Yeah, I also think that the, the court could issue an order to the extent that Paul and Ryder still have uh, control over the uh, the uh, metadata of those of those uh, tokens, 
and to order that those no longer reference, no longer link to a board ape image, and then you just have the token itself without any kind of image associated with it. I do think if, if to the extent that polling riders still have that level of control, which they might not, um, that the court could order them as the developers to change that up. Fascinating. Excellent conversation today, all. I think, uh, I think we've given a good primer for what might come on this thing. And I always appreciate all the insights from the lawyers in the space. For those who are listening and who are not lawyers, give a follow to these great lawyers that have jumped in and shared their thoughts on this subject. Uh, I know they always appreciate that. And they work very hard to try and keep this community informed. And we try very hard to unpack these legal developments as soon as we can in real time and interpret what's going on here. But I guess more to come on this conversation. Thank you to Nir, Birdnalls, Ira, as always, Christian, Matt, Josh, and to everyone who joined us today. Sorry we missed Jenko today. I think he might have had some connection issues, but I'm glad we got this one in today and we covered this breaking news. I hope everyone has a wonderful Monday and we will talk soon. Peace, everyone.